0: All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm here as always with Calvin. Hello. And this is part two of our compare and contrast of The Tragedy of Macbeth, which came out in 2021, and Macbeth, which came out in 2015. In this episode, we're going to go through uh, the aesthetic, like how do these films differ in look? How do they differ in score? Uh, we're going to compare and contrast some different scenes. And uh, yeah, I, uh, Calvin, you had a really kind of succinct way to put together of the feel of the aesthetic and how you need to put it together in a film.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I mentioned in the, in the uh, last episode that Macbeth is a tragedy of body and mind. And it's a tragedy of mind in that you see a man who's deteriorating from within, either because of the, the pointlessness of this cosmic game that he's caught in by the witches, or the deterioration of his own mind, um, where the witches are an embodiment of his inner lust for power. And then you have a tragedy of body where all of all of this, this killing and suffering is being inflicted upon other people by the by Macbeth. Macbeth is the the tragedy upon the, the people, upon the land. And so I love how both of these films decided to take one of those and re, and make make it the aesthetic tragedy of Macbeth took the tragedy of mind and really went the expressionistic way. Uh, everything within the set conveys this inner turmoil. The, the, the set is a reflection of his mind. Whereas Macbeth, uh, the Fassbender Macbeth, chose to portray the tragedy of body. So there's all of the, the, the grittiness, the, the, the death, the suffering. And they both t- chose different eras of film to use as their main aesthetic so a lot of uh the expressionism i'm thinking of is uh there's uh german expressionism was big in the 1920s a lot of films look like that uh you can also uh seventh seal by ingmar berryman was was 1967 Um, and the devil that's portrayed in that film is dressed the exact same way that the witch is and I think that's that's a wonderful nod there. So you have all of this really striking uh, shadow, black and whiteness that's uh, associated with expressionism. And then on the other side, you have a lot of contemporary films, Saving Private Ryan, uh, Vikings. Like, <laughs> all uh, the
0: attitude and neck roll right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, this is Macbeth. It's like you were saying, it's like, oh, it's going to be a smarter uh, gladiator. And it was just gladiator. A lot of weird jump cuts, a lot of terrible camera angles. There is some cinematic quality to it, but it's the cinematic quality of war within a stage play mindset. And I don't think they they go well together. I think there are elements that work in some places, but this movie is a lot of weird camera gimmicks and and then a lot of really great
0: performances. You say camera gimmicks. And I say taking advantage of the medium, <laughs> which is what I think Macbeth did really, really well. I, I think one of the things you won't like is its use of slow motion. I love how it's cut in with things moving at a regular pace, and it, it's, it doesn't have the same feel as something like 300 had, where it's kind of in one motion, it's speeding up and slowing down. It felt like it was telling a story in that, like it would isolate Macbeth in slow motion, or it would isolate the, the turmoil and violence of battle and then it would speed up to show the actual chaos that's happening. And then it's it's juxtaposed with these amazing establishing wide shots and just the way that all these characters are interacting with the environment and it's cold and it's foggy. And it brought so much of that film like to life for me in a way that I thought Tragedy of Macbeth didn't. I thought most of the sets were pretty uninspired. I think especially once you move into the castle, it was all shot on a, a soundstage and it felt that way. Um, yeah, I haven't criticized that more than I've praised it what I will say about the sets that I did like are all the ones that take place outside I loved the the shots at night where you had the star field in the background and like I said this movie felt like stage play and it looked like someone had hung a sheet poked holes in it and you had the light shining through and that felt like it really matched the aesthetic of the film and that those parts really worked for me there's other scenes where uh characters meet on a road and you have like kind of that bridge and it's fading off into what looks like maybe like a map painting in the background. Oh, yeah. And a lot of that felt like you would roll that out on a stage and you would and that's how you would experience it if you were at the play. So those scenes worked for me. I didn't get a lot out of the majority of this movie taking place inside a castle or a cathedral or something like that. I, I thought that those felt uninspired and it just looked like gray stone everywhere.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what's so great is the austerity. There is really a reflection of his mind, and how there's this deep chasm. Like there are no boxes or no lids on anything. It's just this vast, um, deep well of uh, of drowning, basically, because you have no limit to where he can go. It just it feels very surreal for that reason, and that's just that's that's what I love about all of this. Is like. It's not meant to be real. It's not meant to be uh, something that's designed by humans. It's meant to give you a sense of this isn't reality. This isn't um, a real castle. Um, this is an ex. This is expression of
0: a character. See, and you have these glowing things to say about it. When I look at it, I think cheap. Yeah, but that's <laughs> what's so
1: crazy is like, especially so. You have all of these cheap. Um, uh, Sets. Yeah, I agree with that. They're they're meant to uh, uh, look that way, so you create these harsh edges. so We get these really interesting shadows in different places. That's actually really hard to to do. A lot of shadows will fade, um, especially if your light is far away. So those arches were specifically made so that they would make a very perfect arch. Um, out of the light that was being projected through them. But Do you, you want get, to know a really good fun fact? I would love to know a lighting bit. Lighting and different. shadows? Yes.
0: So according to the cinematographer uh, Bruno Del Bonel, they painted shadows black on the set to oh. like really pump up the contrast, probably for the same reason you were saying. It's maybe hard to get those like hard lines and the the real contrast from just existing shadows. So they actually painted shadows in, which I think is a really neat, it's, it's an aesthetic choice that probably worked, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, it's also something I didn't notice without reading it. So I, I think maybe I visually just I, I picked up on that cue without realizing it. But I, I do like that as just a little, uh, just a neat fun fact into the, the set design of this of that film. I would also go further to say that, for it being black and white, I didn't think it was lit in a particularly interesting way. I think there's one really mm-hmm. cool scene of Macbeth when he's kind of hiding, and Banquo is talking to his son about how. Like they'll go on to become kings and Macbeth comes out of the shadow and Banquo pulls his, his sword out and Macbeth's like no 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 friend friend that's like the one kind of interesting use I thought of of shadows and having him kind of creep around and stalk about and you get kind of the nefarious nature of that character and the betrayals he's gonna carry out but that's like kind of the only scene I really thought took advantage of it being black and white and taking advantage of that contrast.
1: There's a few other ones actually. There's a, another one that I can think of is when uh Duncan first arrives at the castle, um he and uh Lady Macbeth are off to the side and he is bathed in shadow and she is uh split down the middle in shadow. And I think that's a really interesting one like um, thinking of like Lady Macbeth being a, a voice of his inner desires and not necessarily um, her herself. That's why she's split like that, and he is just steeped in this, this this desire for power and the the dark acts that he's going to perform. There's actually quite a few, but they're just so well done that you don't notice all of them. A lot of them work subconsciously.
0: I think maybe I was expecting black and white film noir so much that when I didn't get those like classic shots, like mm. creeping out of the shadow to say something to, to whatever dame or, or uh, uh, what? Femme fatale. Fem, yeah. Whatever femme fatale is going to appear in the story. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I've just been programmed to know those shots exist. And when they didn't happen, I was like, oh, they didn't use the light well. So that's probably more me thing. I just thought that for, for being in black and white, I expected more of like, uh, dynamic shots, I guess. Like taking advantage of that. Yeah. And And I I think you're probably right that I just missed a couple.
1: Yeah. And I think part of it too is like we spent a long, long time looking at Robert Eggers and Ari Aster.
0: So we're a little spoiled on like...
1: (laughs) For sure. (laughs) (laughs) What really um, high-minded cinema and amazing uh, mise-en-scene really looks like. There are different traditions that, um, that I feel like this pays homage to. And that's why I like it. Is um, exactly like like I was saying. Like these these scenes and the way the way the way film was coming out of the stage play in the twenties and into its own type of medium still held a lot of those elements of stage play. And so then how they incorporated that with these really interesting lighting setups and how that pushed film to where it became because noir actually comes out of the tradition of expressionism and with those hard lines and those you know. Uh, deeply conflicted characters. Like all of that stuff is, uh, comes, goes all the way back to the 20s, at least the 20s. That's just a major trend of it.
0: So we've covered how black and white functions in Tragedy of Macbeth. And let's contrast it to the really wide color palette that, uh, the 2015 Macbeth has. I think it's establishes all these like great shots of uh, the hillsides and mountains and everything. And so you get this like really wide view of all this amazing color. And then it's even color corrected later on in Battles to be more blue. We have uh, some green hues and the witches are around. And then the climax of the film is just this vibrant orange and red. And then the real conclusion of it that leads to the credits, it's completely red with Mm -hmm. like black rock and hills and mountains. This movie has a extremely wide range of color to it. And that's part of the reason I wanted to compare and contrast the two is because I I knew before I saw it that it it was really vibrant. And then to compare it to a tragedy Macbeth, that is totally black and white. I thought would be really interesting. I want to know what did you think about the varying stages of color in this film, uh, because it worked for me. I have a feeling it didn't work for you. It's not that it doesn't work for me. It's that the editing
1: is terrible. The colors are, I think, are interesting and fun to play with. I think they're a little bit, a little bit heavy-handed when you're talking about something that's meant to evoke realism. Um, why are we playing with so much different color that it feels like some in some ways that it was towards the eye of being color corrected uh, rather than um, a state of a natural state of things like I get like yeah like the fire is meant to be the the red at the end but it, it feels it still feels synthetic in a way that doesn't uh get the point across but the thing is it's like all of these like some of these shots are really really cool you get these wide establishing shots of landscapes and stuff and they're like three seconds i you don't get anything out of a three second shot and that's why i don't you can't you can't jump around like this and then ex, and then just stop and stare at a person for like a minute it's it's so disjointed to me and so jarring. Like, what is the point then? Like, did, like you, can, you don't need a million different shots of mountains when you can just give one for like 15 seconds. It doesn't even need to be that long, just a little bit where we kind of get a sense of, of place, of scope, of time, and
0: then move on. I liked it because it showed a wider world, and then it, almost after all those shots, it goes to the witches. And so I kind of liked how it's set up in this big expanse that the witches exist somewhere kind of mysteriously within this world, this kind of wide world. And so I kind of like the idea of it switching and showing the different, it's essentially, it feels like the same sort of mountain range or hill area. But then to have the witches appear there, it almost feels like they came out of nowhere. So I kind of, I get what you're saying. I think I would have liked longer establishing shots, like something that we get from Lamb. Like that is amazing establishing shots. Mm -hmm. And you really get a sense of the world you're in. But I also kind of liked how it was edited together. I know that's like a, a a problem for you, but I kind of like how it shows these things and then the witches just appearing in it. Like that to me is I, that can be that yeah. can happen though. I have no
1: problem with that. It's just the fact that you're you're trying to to create this uh, uh, this sense of scope, um, and you don't get it from a, a short uh, a short shot. A lot of times, what short shots are meant to do is. Uh, control pace and to move from here to here it's supposed to be it should be a reflection of uh freneticism generally like uh, when you think of like the hip-hop editing that's associated with darren aronofsky like it's it's meant to disorient to get from one place to another macbeth doesn't go anywhere like so much of it it's just in the same place it's really slow um why you decided to cut this so quickly in some places and so slowly in other places is is my problem like what
0: what are you trying to speak with your image then? So then I the, then I kind of want to jump to a different scene that is cut together very quickly and it has a lot of edits in it. It's when Macbeth is in his bedroom, his uh, you know his his private quarters, and it's supposed to show that he's starting to lose it. Like it, there's a shot where he's in the foreground, and then it cuts to him in the background, kind of jogging around, and then another cut quickly to him swinging his sword around, and just even uh, he has this more fatigued look. He just looks like he's becoming more mad and that's a part that part of the film i think is edited really well cuz it I, does it's like you I said i would
1: call it cheap and lazy oh really i, I hated it so much oh man i, I saw it... the same thing in open water too <laughs> i <laughs> i love how different we took these movies i i hate that so so much because it's i call it lazy because you basically don't need to set up any of those shots in an interesting way. What makes it interesting is that you have a bunch of different subjects or a bunch of different, uh, uh, actions happening in the same place so even if your camera isn't interesting you get you're getting your point across you haven't created interesting dialogue you haven't created interesting perspective you haven't created uh um you're not getting in this in this character's mind you're showing them do different things and be like yeah look crazy people act like this like that's why i would call it <laughs> like lazy like you, you there there are a lot harder ways to do it
0: and more interesting ways to do it because really, I did. I felt like I was in his mind right there. I felt like I know what this character is going through. And it was purely through the editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So again, I, I am so glad we are talking about these two movies because there's so much stuff I liked about one and didn't like about the other. And you just feel the opposite way. To yeah. Me. And I, and again, like if if you haven't
1: uh, been with us uh, that long, like, part of the reason like I find these cheap and lazy is these are things that you as a student could do when you're first getting into film you realize that oh this this works i can do this technique and then you find out it's not that hard to do when you find things that are really hard to do and people that pull them off consistently that's where cinema like suddenly takes a different turn like if anybody can just cut together things like this like oh look like this guy going crazy then i don't think it's been it i don't think it's been created very well um because it's also not a good reflection of human life. Like if you can if you can peer into a moment in someone and understand everything about who they are, what they're going through, that's really hard to do. If you want to show like every uh, like big life events, like like take the montage for uh, uh, for up, like that's fairly easy to do um, in terms of concept. Um it works really, really well there because it 's the 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 best version of that, but it 's a cheap way of doing
0: it I just think that if it 's it feels like those things are a staple in movies, so they must work if people continue to do them there it 's but, yeah. but then I guess I understand how you would find it lazy it 's like well, it appears in so many other and it, it, it appears as a trope, and yeah. so it is for no talent hacks oh my god <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it worked um. But let's move. But it on. does
1: like it still like gets the point across. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily, uh, wrong that that you would use that. I just don't. I don't find it like all of the the directors that I find to be so much more interesting is the ones where they just set up the camera and they have such a concept of what they're trying to get across that everything has been thought out already. Any you know best boy can cut that together in the op- and pick that up off the the cutting room floor and throw that together. That's not hard. That's that's the problem.
0: No, and I, I can understand that. I just thought it functioned well in this. I, again, I, I had like a point. I was like, okay, Calvin will at least, he'll at least like this part. <laughs> that was actually like yeah, my least favorite part, <laughs> I think, of the whole movie. <laughs> so I want to move on to the score then. This movie, uh, Tragedy of Macbeth, felt like a stage play. It felt like something you'd go to a community center and see. I mean, your community center isn't going to have Denzel Washington and Francis McDermott playing the roles, but it felt that way. And I thought something the score could have done that they should have pumped up like having a dramatic piano score with it because when i think of going to plays as like a kid you have that little old lady off to the side who's accompanying the play with like a on piano playing the music along with it and so i think you could have had a lot more of the classic like dun 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 like played on piano alongside of it and i think that would have uh it would have tied in well with the like established aesthetic of the film, no, yeah, I agree
1: because a lot of uh, those uh, the the Germanic expressionist films were still made in the silent period. So, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about film history, you and I, and back then, obviously, there weren't scores like their film wasn't on sound. So, what happened was when you would get to uh, a theater. It was basically house choice about what would be played. They have either a live band or just a piano. It's not like someone sent out a soundtrack with their movies. Like it was, it was someone usually just playing it live. So I can get, it, I can get behind that. It's, but it's like it's interesting because I think that some of that uh, piano kind of makes it a product of its time. It takes away from the seriousness of the subject matter. Um, And I think that's why he ultimately why Joel uh, Cohen ultimately didn't include that type of thing, because there's so much of this emphasis on realism in movies today that if you want to be taken seriously, you can't sound like uh, you're dated the day you debut.
0: Right. I can I I guess I can understand that maybe not have the same musical tones that we're used to.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like you clearly, he clearly chose an era of film that is not uh, known for its realism. So right. I feel like, yeah, there's. I think it's it's more like a blend. I think the a lot of times music would is uh, like it's very obvious like what the music is going to be. But I think the piano music would carry the emotion in a way that like someone would come away with a very different opinion of this movie after seeing it. Anyone that already went to it already knew they were seeing something in black and white, and I think that's such a stigma in in movie going oh, today sure, already sure. that like yeah basically like i'm going because it's black and white and people are go, are not going because because it's black and white
0: yeah i just sort of like to because this i mean i think i asked you was like what do you think of the score before we started recording you're like i don't really remember it <laughs> which again i think that you can have a movie that isn't dominated by its score but I like I like when they play an element in it, at least. And this didn't really have anything striking to me. It didn't even really have anything I remembered. All I could think of is, man, it, I think it would work better with this. Yeah. And, you know,
1: it's interesting that you say, like, dominated by, because I do feel like the 2015 version is dominated by
0: music. Okay, then, yeah, let's talk about that. Because, uh, again, I think it has this amazing mythical quality to it. Love it. I do. I love the the quality of it. But
1: my version, my idea of uh, of film, is more on the visual side. I don't want my emotion being carried or forced down because of the music. And I think that like, and there are so many parts of this movie where you don't that, that there, is, there isn't music, and it works so well.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. That I think I think the score works well in this. It's one of my favorite parts of it. I I think I had mentioned to you. It reminds me of that song uh, for the intro of Vikings. Oh yeah, you showed me that. That sounds
1: absolutely something yeah. like I would listen to.
0: It's called yeah. I was surprised that you hadn't heard it uh, before, but it's called uh, "If I Had a Heart" by Fever Ray, and it's just it hits those like really reverberating tones and kind of like that choir, that male choir in the background. It, yeah, I think Love, you could have
1: yeah, chamber music you know, that Scandinavian quality. Uh, I'm right. all about that.
0: You could have dropped that song right into Macbeth, and it would have totally fit the tone. And then uh, all the other score that would have surrounded it, it, it felt like it totally fit. And again, that's just another quality to this movie that I thought it took advantage of the medium. I thought it used its score well. And and like you said, I think its lack of score also like fits in at certain points. That's part of the reason I didn't love Tragedy of Macbeth is because it just completely skipped that element. And it's like, well, then I would just go see a play then. But then it didn't even do like the play stuff, right? Because a play would still be accompanied by music. Uh, yeah, I, in some places. I don't yeah. know if
1: the actual Macbeth one is,
0: but... Yeah, again I just think it looks so much like a high school play that <laughs> that it had that feeling to me like it should have it should have piano with it. Um but maybe I'm I'm getting a little sucked too far into that like personally what did I expect out of that movie when I didn't get it? Like now I'm criticizing it for that, which may not have been the point in the first place. So I can accept that. I just still like the way Macbeth had its score. Yeah. yeah, I think they're still valid opinions because I think I think
1: that's what I was most excited about to talk about this with is because I don't think that I would have enjoyed Tragedy of Macbeth without my knowledge of film history. There's so many nods to, to great works and different eras of film while still trying to be contemporary that I find it uh, such a, an interesting blend of uh, aesthetic choices, whereas I feel like Macbeth 2015 is a product of its time and was made to be interesting and uh digestible and somehow wasn't
0: <laughs> yeah no I, I definitely have we talked before recording it's like i i felt like i liked macbeth better because it h- had all the visually striking moments it had the great score which are things i always look for in a movie and tragedy of macbeth really allowed you to like embrace your inner film nerd and and, and all your mm-hmm. like your love for film history and how that captured different elements of that and so i I'm not surprised that we both came away from our opinions on both movies differently. It's just funny to hear finally verbalized. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: I figured this is that that was how this was going to go. Cause even among the, the people I saw tragedy of Macbeth with a lot of them do like movies and they were like, they they were all talking about the, the stage play elements. I was like, wow, you're, you're missing like this whole other aspect of this film. Um, like I, you know, no, like there are stage qualities to it, but it's, you know, maybe I'm missing stage play elements. (laughs) Like I suppose, I guess I didn't, I didn't, I suppose in my infinite, uh, wisdom, I only assumed from my point of view, because we're talking in my medium that, uh, something in another medium might've been done differently. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I feel like there's, there's so much that people wouldn't know from something that feels very boring and bland and easy to, to set up is what it looks
0: like. Right. Right. I know I've criticized it but I still thought tragedy of Macbeth was fine. It's just unfortunate that I also saw Macbeth like the same week and right. I just gravitated towards the other one more. One of the things that I think it makes these films even more fascinating to compare and contrast is the dialogue. It's essentially the exact yeah. same dialogue. I mean it's 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 line for line the same movie. I don't think it's quite line for line for the same yeah. movie
1: but it does it does uh keep the same source material yeah. aesthetic.
0: Yeah, it's it's I mean some lines are i think approximations of another but um, some but I mean, are cut and some are added yeah. to but you can look at it as essentially you know they took the same script and told a uh, told a visually different movie and i really want to talk about how the dialogue is spoken in tragedy of macbeth it's very clear it sounds like they're saying it to an audience they want them to understand what's going on with the character what's going on in that moment in macbeth the 2015 version there's a lot of times where michael fassbender is saying lines very quietly like to himself i like to think of it as an external monologue which i guess is just a monologue but it's his it's his thoughts that he's now saying out loud so that the audience can understand it because this movie would suck if it was like an internal monologue just a voiceover right
1: oh yeah if it were a voiceover oh my gosh i would have a lot more problems with. right this.
0: so i like that he's saying these things like to himself and where able to soak that in as an audience and it's it's just it's not only is it different in tone it's totally different in volume of how essentially the same lines are delivered in completely different ways and i think that's fascinating i want to know how do you think they function in each their story is there things that need to be changed about either one or do they just operate and function in that aesthetic uh, to like their peak.
1: You know, so if I if I really wanted to change anything about the 2015 one, I would want more shots where uh, an actor is um, addressing the camera and breaking the fourth wall. There's one instance that I can think of that happened fairly early on and someone is giving a, a speech directly to the camera. I can't remember. I don't think it was McDuff, but it was someone uh, near the inner circle. And they were not necessarily narrating. I can't
0: remember exactly, but that to is me is it at the beginning where the messenger is telling the king duncan what happened and how macbeth won the fight
1: no it's after that it's after okay. duncan has died um th- if you had gone with that more often i would have been okay with the the slow mo with uh some of these more other gimmicky camera types, because then you would have really been getting into, getting into,
0: into play of the mind rather than a a story of real humans. You know what I mean? Do you think it needed to be more avant-garde? Like it needed to try more weird things in order for, like you said, like the, some of the camera techniques, the slow motion, the color palette, does those work more if the movie is more weird? Not necessarily avant-garde, just more, um, uh,
1: interpretive stuff. Uh, the way that we bring in like, uh, uh, more elements of the play while k- keeping the realism. So, if you have more monologues where we turn directly to the camera, or like in the one that I'm thinking of, he was just, it was just his face framed, there was no one else around him, and he was just speaking directly to the camera. If there were more instances like that that still felt like they were inner thoughts or like they were addressing other people, I felt like that would have been a, a really interesting um, way to have done all of the, the inner thoughts that are in Macbeth in the play. Um, they feel like yeah. You know, instead, we get all of these whispered stuff because we want to make it. You know, we want it to. We want to convey to audiences that this is happening in his mind, that he's not talking to anybody, but we still want it to understand like how, this. Is how crazy he's going. He's doing this in around other people, but I think there's a that comes to a detriment of the sound quality. And I think this is something we talked about with Tenet, like as sound has changed over the years, actors' uh, portrayals, like where, where we're talking about, like people trying to give very real human experience, uh, performances where there's a lot more whispered stuff. It's a lot more believable. It is hard to get good quality sound out of that because if you want something whispered and you want something w- with a wide shot, where are you going to put the boom? Right. If you want good sound, you're going to have to use a lav or something like that. And those aren't going to give you the same quality of sound. You're, you're using a boom throughout the whole shoot generally because then the the sonic quality is the same you don't have to do a lot of dubbing you have the same signal
0: yeah i was gonna say yeah like you said you have to do you have to like dub it or adr which i always feel like i can spot a mile away or yeah. hear a mile away 100 it never works for me at all uh but you were saying that you think the film needs to focus more on visualizing that things are happening in his mind yeah one thing that i thought worked really well is the visions he has of his son which are an added element away from the source material and he talks about him like being a specter sort of leading him to his destiny like leading him to duncan's tent so do you think the movie works better if there's more scenes like that
1: yeah exactly like the film is a is a Germanic expressionism was still coming out of the stage play so it was a blend of what we're trying to do with film and what were what uh the uh, general traditions of actors at the time were doing. Now you're in an era where film is the dominant medium. Focus on what uh, film does well. We we don't need as much dialogue now. We we can show things like there's a there's a part where um, you know kids are playing a game and they're fighting over like a little grass crown. That, right, perfect. There's, it's not it's kind of heavy handed, but at the same time, uh it's not the point of the shot. It was just some like, oh, there are kids playing off to the we'll cut in these kids playing off to the side with the crown as a um as a metaphor for what's happening here. Um, just a childish game for rule. Right. Use more elements like that and you can use less dialogue. We don't need to then make this I, I just feel like the the 2015 one is a bad is a bad blend of both mediums.
0: Okay, well,
1: that's so funny because I think it's perfectly uses film as a medium. That's uh, funny. I think like in vacuums, like it's really good. It's really good as
0: a film right here, and it's really good as a play right here. It's not good at the same time. So that leads me to one of the issues I do have with the 2015 Macbeth. I think there's certainly a cut of the trailer for this you could do. Like I said, makes it look like Gladiator, makes it look like Troy. And then if an audience went to go see it, they'd be like, oh my God, it's Shakespeare. I don't understand what they're saying. I think you can keep all of the uh, narrative plot points and you can have all the same emotion and dial the language back a bit to make it just easier, more digestible for a general audience. Because I think the 2015 Macbeth is probably a really good way of telling the story of Macbeth that a general audience would get behind and (laughs) enjoy seeing. And I think the part of the problem is they just, it's too Shakespeare. I think there are really good parts where there are big monologues. I really love the scene where Kate DeBickey and her family, they're about to be burned at the stake. And she says like, uh, like the name Macbeth blisters their tongues. And like, that's really great Shakespearean dialogue that works when it's a dramatic scene. I don't think it needs to be Shakespeare when it's just people speaking to each other. There's a lot of scenes with Macbeth and Lady Macbeth in that movie that feel kind of long. And sort of feel like I am trying to, uh, I'm trying to suss out the meaning of it because they're just speaking back and forth to each other so quickly in a language I'm not used to hearing. I think if you dial that back, this becomes a great version of Macbeth for a general audience. Whereas I think tragedy of Macbeth really thrives on it being the traditional, you know, sticking to the source material in terms of how it's how the dialogue is delivered and how it's not changed.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would maybe either. Not have as much dialogue, or I I don't know though I I would not want to cut Marion Cotillard's uh, out the spot uh, monologue, the one where she's like uh, scrubbing that knife. Yes, yeah. god oh, man, gosh, that is just it is brilliant. It's a it's a I don't think that tragedy of Macbeth really got to the height of that scene. You know what I mean? No, that scene is is amazing. And she just starts. She just starts crying out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. That is brilliant acting. Um, and this gentle zoom on this to this close up. It, it's it's wonderful. It is so amazing. And that's why this film is so different in, in certain places, you know? Um, I would want. I want that there, but I agree, like, I don't think that that's kind of the movie that they've set up as being Shakespearean in nature. Right. So why have it in all of these other places and maybe just keep some of the monologues in some places and just some of the the general. I don't know. I kind of keep some of like when uh, when, uh, Macbeth is going crazy, keep a lot of the Shakespearean stuff. And then like, because it makes him sound crazier. It does. And then like, like make him sound a little bit more plain spoken in other places.
0: I love when he yells at the vision of Banquo that he's having. And he's like, why does Doth glare at me? Like, (laughs) just like his, his, the pitch in his voice changes. And it's something that I, it's not just like angry. It's like confusion along with it. And that's just a, I think you are right. That movie is saved a lot by really, really good performances. Mm -hmm. Um, Because otherwise it's very, it's very ordinary. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, aside from its color palette, I think it tries to do a lot there. But I, I think, yeah. I... But it's not
1: like other movies like of that of that time of that aesthetic. Don't try and do that. A lot of them do. They use a lot of the same uh, techniques as this Macbeth, and that's kind of why I I don't love it. It's it's a contemporary thing that's trying to build on the success of other movies uh, of that aesthetic while oh, trying to be something else.
0: Right. Okay. I can understand that because there are not a lot of black-and-white medieval movies coming out, which is why Tragedy of Macbeth... That, I mean, I remember seeing the trailer for it in theaters, and I was like, ooh, I definitely want to see that. It's something that I don't see very often. Yeah. And I was definitely interested in seeing it, whereas I think you probably are right. Like I've said, this movie looked like it could have been a gladiator. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you're probably right. I think I just latch on to the really neat uh, gimmicks that oh, are yeah. used, and that's why I find it visually interesting. But I think you are right. It, it is definitely more in line with contemporary films. Than Tragedy of Macbeth is. Yeah.
1: And if I were to say, like, that's not to say that I enjoyed Tragedy of Macbeth more. I don't know if I enjoyed Tragedy of Macbeth more because we've we've kind of established I love, love, love music just in general. I just don't love it in uh in film because I feel like you're you don't you're not a very good filmmaker. That's really why. Um and maybe, you know, that's some some self-loathing that I have that, that opinion. of <laughs> That's probably, you know, I'm not a very good filmmaker. And that part of it was like, I just wanted to put music in everything because that carries emotion to me. I just couldn't create that out of my images. So I have such a respect for that. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like there are a lot of parts where I got bored with the ma- monologues and tired because, I, I mean, I saw it on a weeknight. I was, you know, not my spryest. Uh, <laughs> um but I, but I love it for just all of the visual elements that I, that I, the, that I, I nerd out on. But I don't think that it was a more enjoyable experience. It was just a better product.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think I know why you, why you have that critique of it. It mm. seems like it's streamlined and knew exactly what it was trying to be. Where I think there's probably elements of the 2015 Macbeth that it felt like maybe it was trying to do a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Let's uh, zero in on some scenes that we want to compare and contrast. I want to start with the killing of Duncan. Love how it's done in the 2015 Macbeth. I think the biggest difference between the two is Macbeth stays in the tent after he's killed Duncan. Malcolm comes in. And in a way, it's, you know, uh, Macbeth scares him off. He's like, you know, essentially like he's going to become the king now. He's next in the line of succession as long as Malcolm is gone. And I love how that played out. And in Tragedy of Macbeth, he just kind of does it. Goes back to Lady Macbeth, who I think in a way almost makes Denzel Washington look kind of dumb. Cause yeah, 100%. Because she's like, oh, put the daggers back, you, you numbskull. Yeah. And he just, it just happens. Uh, but I like the way, I like the way Marion Coulterlard is doing it. She is actively involved in the killing of Duncan. Like she's the one who puts the daggers back and smears the blood on the guards. That way it'll be assumed that they, they carried out this act. So I, I like the, I just liked overall the emotion and the way that scene is put together in the 2015 Macbeth. I thought it just was kind of a plot point that they had to hit in Tragedy of Macbeth. I didn't like get a lot out of it. What do you think of those two scenes put up against each other?
1: Yeah, I don't think that I necessarily love the way the story is conveyed as much in Tragedy of Macbeth because I think that's kind of the way stage plays are. Is there this plot point happened and it's not a rea- It's not a real human reaction and we're so hung up on that in film nowadays. We want real humans. We want like this to be believable and that's why I think that I think that works better in the 2015 one. Because that's more body language acting and I don't think like when you're working in two different places on a stage, you can't make it conceivably uh real. You know, like the, right. I I don't think there's a way to convey this this emotion as well because the the way the space works on a stage suspends your disbelief in a way that we,
0: on film is not. Right. Um So then we can m- move on to The the Murder of Banquo. Uh, I, 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 I like it in both versions, because again, I, I kind of like the set uh, that they have for A Tragedy of Macbeth, uh, but that's the one that's more interesting to me compared to the other sets in the film, and it's not action-packed. Like, it felt like old black-and-white movie, kind of just swinging the flame around and then yelling for Fleance to fly, and... <sighs> It felt, it felt like campy and kitschy in a way that like those movies felt for that time, you know? So I thought it worked really well. I also really liked the 2015 version. I talked about Lachlan Harris, who plays Fleance in that scene, and he is, I think, just an amazing bit of acting as he cries as his Banquo is killed. And I think the key difference between these two scenes is when Fleance is running away, he sees one of the witches. And it to me is sort of like, it's almost like the witch is like self-fulfilling the prophecy. Like... Fleance is going to become king, or other children of Banquo will become king, and so he needs to escape, and so I think that they aid him in a way, as opposed to in Tragedy of Macbeth, uh, Ross finds him hiding in the the wheat field or in the tall grass. So, I mean, I think it all kind of ends up the same way, because Fleance still ends up with the witch at the end, but I like the idea of kind of the witches assisting him in the 2015 version, I thought, like kind of whisking him away or making him disappear. So those would be like the key differences I saw between the two.
1: Yeah, and... Part of me, like my own personal interpretation of the, the Jungian psychology of everything is that the witch is being a, uh, a reflection of an inner mind state for Macbeth. I prefer the tragedy version because it just so happens that the witch is there, you know, not necessarily that they are acting in the uh, against the interests of Macbeth.
0: No, I get that. Yeah,
1: so that's that's the only difference for me. Um, I don't think necessarily like if you if you were to take them as just agents of chaos and uh, upheaval in general, then both of them work the same way.
0: Okay, I want to talk next about a scene that I really liked. It's the banquet scene. I like the 2015 version. I think it shows Macbeth becoming unhinged, and I like the appearance of Banquo, you know, bloodied appearing at the table you do not like this scene so walk me through what's going on here oh my gosh i mean there are
1: so many things wrong here if the part of it uh, is going to be the realism obviously every when you're when you have someone talking and nobody else is talking and it just feels like everyone can hear what's going on it makes it hard to believe that no one else can hear it. You know what I mean? So I don't love that. If, if realness is what you're going for, then no, you should have a little bit of other ambient noise. But obviously that's a problem. If he's whispering to someone, you're not going to be able to hear it. The way it is shot is horrendous. I, uh, it's just jumping around in terms of it's editing. So that, that part is first, but there's nothing interesting. It's like like through people, we have like three or four angles, and one of them is like on a table, but through the heads of people. But it doesn't give a good perspective of what's happening. It's just like, can we? How do we break up the action rather than rather than giving this sense of a uh, of being uh someone in the banquet and watching him become this? There's an over over the shoulder shot. There's one of them like just in front of their table. I think there's one that's kind of higher up looking down at all of the tables, but it's not even like, it's not at an angle that I would consider uh, interesting or, or that would create discord or, or sense of scope or of, of any of this. It's just, and it's all too quick uh, to really give a sense of why this is so uncomfortable. The editing actually, the frenetic editing actually does the opposite of make things uncomfortable and makes them incoherent.
0: That is so funny to me because I thought the camera jumping around gave good perspective on how awkward this was for everyone there. And I, it gave like that frenetic nature to it of a man becoming unhinged. And so that's why I actually liked the way that scene was put together.
1: Yeah. I think the other problem of why you don't get, I don't get the sense that um, you're meant to, understand how everyone is feeling is you don't see anybody's faces there are no shots of like them looking down um there's maybe like one of like a a row of people but there's not like you're not getting into the headspace or the perspective of all of these other people it's just like here are different vantage points of watching this guy go crazy there could have been no people in that room at all and
0: it would have played the exact same way because of how it was shot see and that's sort of how i feel about tragedy of Macbeth. is it feels like there's not There's certainly not as much like passion and uh, I don't get the sense that Macbeth is kind of going as crazy as I think the story should suggest he is. And the other part I didn't love about the tragedy of Macbeth version is uh, he, he walks away and Lady Macbeth asks like, are you a man? He says, oh, a bold one. And mm-hmm. it's sort of off to the side, and it's just them two going through it. I liked in Macbeth, all of this is happening in front of everyone. It's in it's in front of the court. Like, everyone is seeing him start to lose it. And I felt like in Tragedy of Macbeth, they I think they needed more of that. They needed more people to observe what was going on. And so the fact that happens more isolated in Tragedy of Macbeth, I thought, was more of a detriment to it.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I just don't think that they did it the best way they, that they possibly could. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think you need more... Because I don't feel like the character arc of Denzel's Macbeth makes a whole lot of sense. Um, whereas the portrayal that Fossbenner gives is very, is spot on. It's tragic. It's heartfelt. It's just that whole scene needs to be re-envisioned of how they actually shot it and what dialogue they're going to include. Because otherwise it feels... It feels as staged as the most stock parts of anything in Tragedy of Macbeth. And that's why they don't they're not working like they're not working together again. Like these two elements coming together in twenty fifteen are making this seem like well like what is this? What is really the point here? Okay.
0: Yeah, I, I after hearing what you said, I I think there's probably better ways to execute that scene. Uh, yeah. For sure. And I, I do like what you said. Is like, I think you get a lot more of what is everyone going through if you see their faces. You really only see like Macduff and his wife and you see Lady Macbeth. And then you see a little bit of Banquo. And then it's maybe a couple characters next to Banquo who are kind of, they look awkward and are looking down. But I think you're probably right. It needs, I need to see what every character is going through. If you're going to have it, if you're going to edit it in a way that it's bouncing around from person to person, I need to know what the person's feeling. So I, I agree with you on that.
1: Yeah, because like, I like the idea of him just like screaming, going mad. You need a really wide shot, though, of where, of him just like screaming. And then that just we're just sitting there in this awkward silence. And that would really give a sense like, wow, this guy is going crazy. That is such an easy thing to do that that's why it's
0: frustrating that they made it complicated and made it worse. Yeah, I think there's a version of that scene that's filmed by Ari Aster oh. and the camera is just hanging on this guy losing it. And that probably works much better than what we got. I, I think, yeah, I think everything wrong with that scene is more with execution. It's not with uh, performance or even dialogue, I don't think. I think it just needs to be done in a better way. And yeah, having the camera hang on him, I think it makes it more impactful. But then it also kind of doesn't fit with how the movie's been edited already. So. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's 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 the thing. It's like there's not a consistent pace to this because it's not a consistent vision of what it wants to be.
0: Right. Yeah, I I tend to agree with that yesterday needs to make a bit. Oh my like gosh! That now. Yeah, I that's know, all I like, want to see now. <laughs>
1: man, our, I'm so excited about Disappointment Boulevard. Right. Yeah. That's supposed to be coming out this year, I think, and it's a four-hour epic starring Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I yeah. A tra- a, like a comedy horror of uh, I think it's called a tra- comedy horror of uh, the the greatest uh, entrepreneur or business mogul of his time. It sounds like it's going to be something like like a scary Citizen Kane. I'm very oh, that's excited. Great. That's kind of the sense I get from that. I'm so excited to see that. No, he can make anything and I'll watch it. Absolutely. I love Ari Aster. Yeah, until he, until he screws up, until
0: Robert Eggers screws up. Yeah, those are the two that I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm going to follow your career. Make man. movies. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I want to move on to a scene that I think, for once, I think this works better in Tragedy of Macbeth than it does in the 2015 Macbeth. I love the reintroduction of the witches in Tragedy of Macbeth. I don't think this movie is rife with interesting shots, at least I don't think that personally. Mm. But this is the one shot that's really, really neat to me. It's got the the witches up in the rafters. They're portrayed in, I think, a way this position above Macbeth. Like they're the ones who, I want to say in a way, like hold their fate in his hands, but they're the ones who are explaining his fate to him. So in a way they should have a position above him. I just love the, towards the end of the scene where the water disappears into the mm. the cobblestone and everything. It's It's, again, one of the more visually interesting scenes in the whole movie. And I don't think it works as well in the 2015 version because he just kind of meets the witches in the fog. Yeah. And they're just
1: out there like, you know, what are they doing? They they look like they're making, I don't know, they look like there was a pot between them. They're just doing normal woman, woman, human, woman things. Right. Whereas the witches in uh, *Tragedy of Macbeth* look like they're like corvids, you know, yeah, they're yeah. like like uh, like crows, and they're supernatural, and they feel very uh, threatening and menacing. And then you have the sky above them to symbolize—I mean, not the infallibility of fate, but the um, the determinability, yeah, the inevitability of fate. Uh, hanging over him, they're they're just enacting what's already been set in motion. Right, and that is yeah. On top of it being composed interestingly with where we've put our subjects, the subjects themselves are interesting in a way that not a single time happens with the witches in
0: 2015. I also didn't love just because you've you've chosen to go with Shakespearean dialogue for your 2015 version of Macbeth. There's a part where after. Macbeth has met with the witches and he just like lets out a like a woo and it sounds oh yeah it sounds yeah.
1: so out of place yeah I, I i didn't understand that either i was like is, was that a little bit of uh, improv that i don't know someone yeah. was like yeah we'll keep that in that's that's fine
0: cuz that's the point where he's found out that he can't be killed by anyone woman born
1: and so i think in yeah until great burnham wood comes to uh marches on uh castle i don't remember the exact line because obviously i didn't watch it with subtitles so it's hard to remember (laughs) yeah
0: uh but i think it's just supposed to convey that he's maybe a sense of relief that he won't just be killed by anyone like uh, these very specific circumstances have to take place in order for him to feel in danger it's just really weird to let out a nice whoop yeah that it felt just so out of place like you can't have all this can't have your movie rife with shakespeare and then go whooping yeah (laughs) I, i just don't think that worked at all so again, yeah, that's one of the scenes that I thought thematically fit really well in Tragedy of Macbeth and then thematically didn't fit very well in the 2015 Macbeth. <laughs> so I want to get into our last scene to compare and contrast is the, uh, the, the final fight between Macbeth and Macduff. In Tragedy of Macbeth, I think that that movie is more about what's being spoken. And that's what, that's what we should hang on. And it's less about action. And while I would say this is like the low end of an action scene... I didn't think it was really necessary to have like the swinging of swords and the clinging of metal, and I thought you could have just had a uh, them share their dialogue and then Macbeth gets stabbed and that's the end of it and there's you don't see his crown being flung off into the into the mist as he's been beheaded. I thought it worked better if it's just uh just have them say their lines and get the death over with and and that's like really the heart of the movie is in the dialogue, so just have it focus on that
1: i yeah, I would cut some of it. I feel like there's there has to be like some, a bit of conflict just to make it believable that it's, he doesn't just die, that maybe there was some question of whether this was fate or not, rather than him just dying. So I I didn't have as much a problem with that as I did with the, uh, how much action there is in the 2015 version, actually.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Well then let's jump to that one because I actually thought that all worked. I thought you've established this as a, I want to say like dark and gritty Macbeth so I thought that the end being a kind of a more uh, robust battle than what you got out of tragedy of Macbeth I thought it fit in and I again I love the color palette I think it's maybe a little too heavy I think you need to fade into the orange a little more gradually mm. uh, because it did get a little noisy after a while Yeah but I did love the elements of kind of that army of the dead behind Macbeth and like his son is a part of it and I think it's uh, it's the other people that he's that, that he's kind of killed along the way, make up this army that is... And the tragedy is really about them and what he's done to them. And so I love that visual element in it. And I, I think the movie earned enough with the battles we saw prior for there to actually be a, a legitimate, like, action sword fight in it. And I also thought it culminates the, like, this growing animosity and hate that Macduff has for Macbeth for it to come out in a very visceral way. I thought it needed to be, like... It, like, that needed to have a fight.
1: Yeah, I suppose I could... I just... <laughs> I don't like how we went from big battle that it didn't really feel like was. It obviously, wasn't all that big uh, relative to what we're used to in war movies, um, but it went from that and then it got really slow and a lot, not a lot of action. And then suddenly that's like a bit of killing at the end. I just didn't feel like there was it was a consistent point of what they wanted to do with this movie that it felt out of place. Like we were so, I had been so engrossed then up to that point, like how these performances are amazing. This is like, I really get the, um, how crazy they're going and how, um, uh, the, the inner turmoil of both lady Macbeth and Macbeth is, is seen so viscerally. And then we get a, a, a sword fight, which I feel is just kind of cheap in a way that we've, you've established yourself as a high minded film at this point. Right and it feels like it's going in the opposite direction now.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I guess the climax just hit me just right cuz I think what you're saying is valid. I just think it totally landed for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. Like I think that like uh like it could be. I just I think my my problem was with I was just kind of done with that movie going in so many different ways by that point that I I had lost the
0: uh, the ability to care. Yeah, (laughs) so (laughs) I will say one thing I did like is that he's he's not killed in a very epic way. I know in the original writing he's beheaded and they went that way in Tragedy of Macbeth. But I like that he's like just unceremoniously stabbed in the gut and And just
1: left to be on his knees.
0: And I love how how the scenes follow up after that. You see Malcolm sitting near the throne and he's got his own sword. And then you see Fleance kind of scouring the battlefield and he finds Macbeth's sword kind of runs off into the distance and i just want to say i'm very hyped for shakespeare to write macbeth 2 uh, wrath of Fleance. <laughs> yeah i know right that feels
1: like <laughs> yeah. that it felt like that was what they were going with it and i don't know why
0: <laughs> yeah it is weird like it, it set up a sequel for sure right it, on a, a a play that is ancient you know <laughs> like sort of sort of get ready to make a you know your your second Macbeth movie in 2023 (laughs) uh it seemed a little odd but I I still like I like the way it all ended uh in Macbeth still and I like that you got kind of that through line of Fleance's story there's still that maybe shadow of a doubt that he will become a king later or his children will become kings I I like I liked how it ended and I didn't love that tragedy of Macbeth just kind of ends with Malcolm getting the crown and I don't know I I just (sighs) I thought it could have had a i think for everything you've gone through in a story that is considered to be like an all-time classic it needed a little more pomp and circumstance in the end than uh harry potter's mean cousin (laughs) becoming (laughs) king at the end right yeah i was like why do i (laughs) why do i recognize that small face (laughs) (laughs) on such a big head all right and with that i think we're ready to wrap this one up uh calvin you rank Macbeth at a 5.8 again we're going to be opposite on this I, i probably put it around a seven i think you pointed out enough problems with it that i i agree with what you had to say and so it kind of knocked down the rating a little bit um and for tragedy of Macbeth, again we're flopped again you put that at an eight and i put that closer to a five i just think it missed out on some of the cool like stage elements that it could have had like a bigger score and things like that uh but with that thank you for listening to now this is podcasting you can find our podcast on any platform like spotify or apple music we also upload everything to youtube And so go ahead, leave a comment, tell us what we're doing well, tell us what we're doing wrong, and go ahead and suggest movies that we can do in the future. This was a fun one, a little cool compare and contrast, something we haven't done before. Uh, But yeah, with that, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.